Welcome back to another episode of Consciously Clueless. I'm your host, Carly, and I'll be your guide in this journey from consciousness to cluelessness and back around again. Today on the podcast, Jen Rivera Bell is back. Last time Jen joined, she and I talked about the beautiful intersections of her identity, being indigenous, vegan, low waste, a mother, an activist, a lover of Mother Earth, and so much more. This time, Jen came on to dive deeper into the resilience of Indigenous peoples in honor of Indigenous Peoples Day. She shared beautiful insight into how to be an ally to Indigenous people, her experience as an Indigenous woman in a white world, and so much more. I guess the question that you've already been asked, thank you for joining me again. I'm really Absolutely. excited. So happy to be here. <laughs> yeah, I'm really excited to chat with you again. But um, so how are you doing on the spectrum from conscious to clueless this time around? Um, always clueless and always conscious. <laughs> that's, that's, my, Ooh, that's my answer. I like that. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm just this equinox, I think, is just bringing mm. so much shift of energy. And um, I'm lucky to be able to not only see it, but receive it um, with open arms. I'm trying to be very open to it. Um, I've just felt such a positive like push mm-hmm. um, and I'm, I'm just ready for it. I'm ready for it. I'm excited. Um, I'm feeling like where I dreamt of where I wanted to be. Like, I feel Ooh. like that's where I'm heading and it's, I- I'm, I'm so ready to receive it and ready to be there. And I know that it's taking a lot of work and a lot of energy on my part and a lot of self-reflection. I've just been super aware of my own behaviors, the way that I've been talking to people, the way that I talk to myself and just like being like, okay, you need to chill. You need to um, settle down and just be more mindful and more present. I think I kind of lost myself a little bit in these past couple of months, especially um, because of COVID, because of COVID, uh, so much more of our lives are online. Right. And so I felt the need to make more connections. I felt the need to, to be more connected. And then with everything else that's going on, I feel like it's my job to spread information. It's my job to inform people, but then I lose my own sense of self because I feel like I'm just a reciprocator of energy and never for myself and that's one of the hardest things that I've been working on in these past few years is just valuing myself by my productivity and I think we chatted a little bit about that before just like okay how did my to-do list look today okay I failed as a person and I'm unworthy now or I did great and I'm I'm so worthy of love and appreciation now and so working a lot on that as of late and just um like I said being more present like literally like listening to the leaves and watching the leaves fall and like watching all the animals kind of roam around and and just doing that nothing else uh monotasking has been the theme of this yes uh, these past couple of weeks yeah and so I'm just I'm trying I'm listening and and I'm open to what I'm the energies that I'm feeling and like going in that direction because uh I've been I've been needing to to move this way and now I feel like it's the perfect time yeah yeah I love that so much it's funny you say that because just actually in the last few days I felt an 
energetic shift. Like I went mm-hmm. from saying, this is what I want. 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 And in the last few days, I'm like, oh, it's mine. I'm, that's what I'm mm-hmm. getting, it's you know, like there. it's already yeah. there. And I, I knew that I needed to get there, but I didn't fully feel it. And I just feel in the last few days, I'm like feeling a little more joyful about those things instead of being like, this is what I need. This is what I'm manifesting mm-hmm. and being like manic mm-hmm. about it. Yes, absolutely. Truly thinking, oh, those things already exist. They're mine. This is just the path to get there. I really like how you said that. Uh, I think that that's one of the hardest parts um, when it comes to being open to manifesting your future and manifesting your reality is even in the way that we say it of one day this will be mine as opposed to this is mine. I just have to wait for this time, you know, and, yep. and when it's right, it does happen. And we're just receiving that energy. And that doesn't mean we don't do our part in it. You know, like right. we still have to do our part and do the work while also being open to it. I think that sometimes we go to in one direction or the other, and it's finding that, that duality of you got to put in the work, you got to dismantle the systems and then also being aware of the energy, you know, we can do both at the same time. We tend to not give ourselves enough credit. Yeah. I think I've said this phrase in 2020, like, I don't know, zillion times by now, but (laughs) both and like, I have said Mm -hmm. so many times both and because we get so stuck in specifically in the Western world, I think of just things are black and white. It is good or bad is this or that. Mm -hmm. And I Mm -hmm. think of all the million lessons that 2020 is bringing, it's that everything exists at the same time and it's complicated. Mm -hmm. It's both. And, Mm -hmm. and that's, you know, that duality. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that as human beings, you know, we like simplicity, our brain will compartmentalize things into black and white. And it is our job as higher beings to be like, no, actually this entire area is gray. And that is not as simple as it is. It's so much more complex and it's our job to really dig into that as right. opposed to just being like, this is this and that's, and cause that's easy. It's yeah. so easy to see it that way. And, and, and the reality of it is that that's not how it works, you know? It's all interconnected. Everything is intersectional. And it's so much more than just like that. I think that one of my biggest things that I would always go to when it comes to that used to be veganism, this idea of like, okay, well, you know, I know this information and now why doesn't everybody do it? Mm. I don't get it. Like, what is, mm-hmm. you know, get, get to it. What's everybody waiting on? Same. And then like really digging into it. And it's like, oh, okay these people aren't just evil cow murderers. Like that's not how it works, you know? And so understanding those complexities makes you a better activist, makes you a better person to understand that. You have to understand where that other person's coming from in order to, to dismantle those systems. You can't just uh, pinpoint at individual people. They're all systems at play. Yes, absolutely. I think that has been so crucial for me, especially for someone speaking for myself was so much privilege to just be able mm-hmm. to ask people why they're not changing because these mm-hmm. things are easy for me. And last Sunday, my solo episode was about the angry vegan phase. And I just like mm-hmm. talked about like, that's a real thing. That is a real part of it. You, Absolutely. Like, wake up to it. And then you're just like, Oh, 
everything that I knew is a lie. It's all a lie. Mm-hmm. I'm so scared. And everyone's evil. <laughs> and everyone's evil. And these people that are making these choices. And it's so like you, I definitely like put myself in this, like I'm over here kind of camp. And mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. it's a part of it because you, I feel like you kind of have to go through this like wake up phase, but even just some of the things I said or some of the things I believed were just from such a place of no understanding of the systems at play, Mm -hmm. of the intersectionality, of all of those things. And that's a part of it. Like not only learning it, but being like, yo, I was wrong. I was really wrong. Yes. And I think that that's one of the most important parts is after saying things or doing things that like were just not okay, being able to say, hey, I did X, Y, Z. And like, hey, y'all, like I shouldn't have done that. Here's why here's what I'm doing now. And that goes for everyone, because we're not perfect. You know, I come from a place of speaking on intersectionality of talking about different avenues for marginalized people. And yet I still mess up all the time, Mm -hmm. all the time. I, you know, we we have these ingrained biases. And that's, that's normal, right? Right. And it's kind of hard for us to talk about that of like, hey, we all are part of the system. We've all been raised with racism, with sexism. And so we have these biases. It is our job to vocalize when we do have these views, when we do think these things and be like, whoa, let me take a step back. This is stemming from this. I'm going to do better. No one's asking for anyone tomorrow to just be just streamline, you know, whatever. It's about taking accountability. And and that's one of the most awkward, hardest parts especially when you're in in these circles of activism in these circles of justice because you're seen and perceived as like flawless right yes it's like no I know vast amounts of activists who who mess up all the time right we mess up all the time and the good thing is taking accountability and making sure that people see that right because if we're seen as flawless then people will see that as unattainable and be like, okay, well, I'm, what's the point of me trying if I'm never right. going to be like that? And it's like, no, like we mess up every day. Uh, we say things that are, are not correct. We hurt people, whether intentionally or not, the mm-hmm. intention is not the, the problem. It's what, what was the damage? And, you know, and so taking that accountability, I think is just, that's why I enjoyed that episode so much was just listening to you being like, Hey, like I thought these things, I said these things and you know, I now know better and, mm-hmm. you know, here's, here's the deal. Um, I think a lot of people don't like to vocalize when they mess up because it's awkward, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's weird. Like I don't want, I don't want to talk about like, <laughs> Hey, last time I was doing this, but that's the only way to really get better is um, by showing other people that we are all imperfect, right? Like mm-hmm. nobody is out here doing it 100, like no matter what, what <laughs> realm they're in. And it also just points to like, nobody is outside of that indoctrination of the systems. Like no matter how woke you think you are or how much, you know, Mm -hmm. like we are all in it. Absolutely. There's no way to say like, well, I don't subscribe to like, yeah, I try not to be sexist and racist and, you know, like obviously, and I'm working actively against those things, but when they're culturally ingrained and they're in systems and then they're like systematic injustice, like that's what, you know, Mm -hmm. so it's a battle. It is a battle to unlearn Mm -hmm. and choose to relearn. 
Absolutely. I think that we, we don't, we don't realize this because again, we see it as black and white issues. We see it as those bad people are being racist. Those bad people are doing these things. It's like, no, that's not it. We are perpetuating those systems just as much as those people. It might not be obvious, you know, like, you know, there's people who like blatantly say the N word and blatantly do blackface. Those are obvious senses of racism, but that's easy to point out and say that. What about the anti-blackness that I hold? What Mm. about the racist things that I, you know, like those are the things, those are the things that are more difficult because like I said, we, we see it in black and white. And so we want to pinpoint the bad apples. We want to say those people as opposed to being like, okay, yeah, those people are being really shitty. And like, yeah, Yeah. (laughs) also here's the system that we need to dismantle, right? It's not just about the bad individuals doing individual actions. Like that's not what it is. And that's so hard for people to understand because it's so much harder to say it's systematic than it is to say that one individual is racist. Yep. It's so much more work. Yes, that's the thing is it's so much more work. And I think this perfectly segues into one of the million reasons I wanted to chat with you again, other than the fact that I just enjoyed chatting so much before, (laughs) is that this week when this airs, it will be after, but it will be the week during Indigenous Peoples Day. And I think there's a lot of Mm -hmm. everything we just talked about I think is coming up more and more and more the statues that are toppling over and all of that, that pushback, I think from people that don't understand why that is healing or why that might be helpful is systematic. And it's why rewrite this or it's why blah, blah, blah. And it's not being able to understand the systematic injustice native people and specifically in the United States, North America, North America at wide, have endured for centuries. Mm-hmm. And I, mm-hmm. um, I wanted to talk about that specifically because I think it's so important to continue the conversation and not just, and I've said this before, years past when things would come up, I would like rally around things, you know, like I was at the state capitol in Minnesota for gay marriage. And then we like got that. And I was like, okay, cool. That's checked off the list. But instead of like Mm -hmm. sticking with it and seeing where all these things are and all the different ways that injustice is carried out. Because again, that's, that's the hard part is seeing that it's not just one bill. It's not just uh, one person to fire it's not just one thing but it's so interconnected and seeing how different realms of people's marginality mm-hmm. it goes into play right because yeah. even uh, for folks who fight for gay marriage right and then those same people will then disregard transgender folks right mm-hmm. and so it, it comes into play in so much more which is why as allies of all of these different realms, we don't get breaks, right? Because those people of the marginalized groups don't get a break, right? right. I feel as though, because, because being an ally isn't a noun, right? Like we, I, I see it as a verb. It is what you yes. do, 
because yes. you you don't get like a sticker and be like I'm an ally now I see those all the time and it's like those are cute and like I love it I'm all about it but at the same time it's like it is a constant action that you have to do you don't like go to a protest and be like I became an ally that's it like yep. no it's like every day what did you do every day every day because these people from these groups don't get to not be from that group yep they don't get to take that break Yes. And so it is our job to constantly be there for them because they don't get that luxury of just being like, oh, okay, I'm going to just chill and, and not be, you know, X today. Like that's not yeah. how that works. Yeah. So when you were growing up in school, did you learn about Columbus and Columbus Day? Oh, yeah. We had, uh, you know, our little um, what's it called? The Thanksgiving program where half of us just wore you know some feathers on our forehead and the other half wore the little you know hats and it's even I mean it's so damaging on so many different levels um I was the only brown person at the school everyone at our school was black and so it was so problematic on like 18 different levels (laughs) what they had us doing right yeah no it was just atrocious and so to me seeing that especially now having children, um, our children, our youth just absorbs whatever is placed in front of them. And so when they see these portrayals of what history is like, they just automatically assume it to be true because Mm -hmm. the grownups are saying it. And so that is truth to them. And that was truth to us. That is literally what we became. I mean, I know adults right now that when we talk about this, they're like, but... I thought they like all sat down and did, and I'm like, no, <laughs> stop right there. Yeah. That is not how it happened. Yeah. You know, and we, we, we want to fault these people. And, and again, when I'm angry, I do want to fault them. I want to be like, how, how do you not know this? You know? And at the same time, I grew up in that same, yep. that same way. So like, yep. I know how I didn't know. I know how, you know, I was in college and I still didn't know these things. And so it's baffling how we have just let these things go on for so long that they become our norm right Mm -hmm. my little sister she's um 13 now but I remember you know for kindergarten or first grade they made her do that and at the time I still didn't know any of this and so I just thought it was cute yeah and then now (laughs) when I help her with her history homework I have to like hold myself back because I'm just going so hard on these teachers that they don't know where it's coming from. It's, it's something so enraging yet empowering to know our history. It is something that we must go through and it's a mourning and it's a grieving process. And then at the same time, like a rebirth all at the same time, Mm -hmm. because being able to sit down and realize, you know, the true effects of colonization, of genocide, that we are that percent that survived is so heartbreaking and powerful at the same time. It, mm-hmm. it's, it's so hard to even like conceptualize what that feeling is like of, you know, for, for us in particular, we're indigenous to Mesoamerica. And just knowing, you know, all that I don't know breaks my heart. 
you know, like we lost ties to our languages. And so now I'm struggling on a daily basis to try to get that connection back. And, you know, I'm very fortunate to have teachers, um, indigenous teachers from El Salvador that I'm learning from and, and elders that I'm learning from, but not everyone has that luxury. Right. You know, like people will come and go at having never known their language, having never known their traditions, having never known their rituals and ceremonies. And so to have the audacity to have an entire day for Christopher Columbus is laughable. It is yeah. laughable at best, right? Mm-hmm. And I mean, in El Salvador, in, in all of these places in Central America, El Colón was our currency. It was this face on the coins, you know, in the same way that, you know, we have the presidents on Mount Rushmore, <laughs> all of these things that to, to an outsider's perspective of people who lack the knowledge of that history, they're like, what's the big deal? I don't right. get what the big deal is. Right. But to, you know, to the indigenous people where those sacred mountains are, it means everything, right? And it's, it's being able to understand the deep hurt that that history has caused, that deep sorrow that these statues hold, mm. you know, to somebody else who doesn't have the context, they're like, it's a statue. What's the big deal? Right. You know, but, but to those people, it is everything, right? It is, it is putting in the most literal term, the colonizer on a pedestal. Like, yeah, yeah. They're like showcasing it. Yeah. Carving the colonizer out of stone mm-hmm. and putting it as like a tourist attraction. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. It's horrifying. I think it's horrifying is does it like doesn't even fully describe. But I think I, I was as you were talking, I was realizing too, just like fall in general. And I'm not saying that it's harder or easier any time of the year to be indigenous, but I'm just thinking of like, okay, we have still Columbus Day in some areas, um, many areas. It is not called Indigenous Peoples Day or recognized. And then we come up on Halloween where we have to continue to beg people to not use a culture as a costume. And then football season where we're still having teams with names that I just like, I can't wrap my head around it, that it still is a thing. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. like I actually can't wrap my I like I can't I'm like we're and then bam, still Thanksgiving. yes and then I was just gonna say and then bam Thanksgiving and then everyone acts like you know like the program in school like it was just this like long table of love and I just mm-hmm. how have you how do you approach these conversations with people who are like let's say like but you can't rewrite history why would we take down a statue or why would we change the name of something? Absolutely. And I am such a history advocate. And so I don't want to erase history. I want to embrace what true history really is. And yes. so if, if by that logic, you know, these people, they're like, this is history. This is, you know, whatever. And it's, um, you're right. And I want the true history. I want to know exactly what happened. I want to know 
what the truth was, not some made up fictional history that Disney produced. Right. I mean, literally every kid growing up saw Pocahontas and saw that to be the truth. Right. Like that was our reality. And, and I think that people do not give children enough credit and do not understand that these little people turn into adults and so all of these biases that the media portrays all of this misinformation that they are given is not just silly cartoons right it's not just like oh they're just watching this and like they're not even going to remember in 10 minutes no that is the furthest thing away from the truth right and so we grew up thinking that Pocahontas was this first of all adult we we all assume that she was an adult <laughs> yeah and we assume that you know she did all of these things willingly and she went to England willingly, you know, like all of these things. And it's like, she was a child, first of she all. She was a child. She was literally a child. And so just just that alone should be enough for us to be like, wow, um, maybe we shouldn't be getting our history from a, a Disney movie. And to this day, it, it's, it's so enraging and it's sad that at this point I'm just so used to it, but being an indigenous person who is married to a white man, I have been with Zach for almost 10 years now. And so I didn't get started in this journey of decolonizing until about five years ago, whenever I was pregnant with Luna. And so to this day, still, I get angry indigenous men to try to call me Pocahontas. <gasps> And it is so baffling because first of all, them trying to police an indigenous woman is an act of white supremacy, right? That is patriarchal. That is white supremacy. So you are being like the colonizer one. Secondly, you don't know your history. If you're using the name of a child who was part of this horrific like time, in order to try to insult me, right? Mm. And so it, there's so much that we have to learn collectively as a people to be able to be better, right? And I'm not saying that there aren't people who do know history and, and still continue to pepper, you know, perpetuate these ideas, but there are a lot of people who just really have no idea, Genuinely. who just really don't know um, what happened. They don't know... Um, how disrespectful certain things are. And when we have these conversations, a lot of the times when I have these conversations with people, they're just mind blown. They're like, I yeah. had no idea. Yeah. You know, we sit down and, and I give a couple book recommendations and, you know, I, I talk with a lot of people online. Instagram is my main platform of connecting with people. And I get a lot of people who, you know, will message me and try to rile me up or try to, you know, ruffle some feathers. Yeah. I'm so unfazed by it at this point. And, (laughs) and then I, I explain to them, you know, like six different points and I'm like, you know, here you go. And they're like, but, but this isn't true. And I'm like, okay, then Google it. And they're like, I had no idea. Oh my God. how, How is this going? I'm like, exactly. And, and I don't know if it's a fault or a good thing that I empathize with these people so much because I get it. I get it 
I get where they're coming from. I get how they have been misinformed for so yep. long yep. that it becomes their reality. It doesn't matter sure. if it's true or not to them. It is right. Yeah. It, yeah. it becomes their reality. And so when being exposed to the truth, when being exposed to accurate history, people will get defensive, right? Because you're, you're, you're attacking their reality. And mm -hmm. so you're, you're, making their reality crumble right in front of them. So of course they're going to defend it. Of course they're going to be upset by that. Right. But you know, some people just stick to that and will disregard the truth and other people won't. Other people will see it and be like, wow, I had no idea. This is awful. And uh, yeah, sorry about that. Like I, I get a lot of people that get like that. I'm like, it's all good. I just, I just needed you to know what the truth is because I mean, from the time that we're three years old, there's the, the, even the whole idea of cowboys and Indians, you know, yeah. like they still sell these little toys, yes. you know, these things are still being sold and perpetuated. Indigenous people are characters on a TV show. They don't think that they're real people. They're literally cartoons. I don't know. Uh, when's the last time you watched like the Disney version of Peter Pan, but oh, I can't, I highly I can't suggest you it. go and it's like I recently saw some clips my friend like resent them to me and I was just like yep yeah oh. I mean and that's what we watched right yeah. that's what all of us saw and that's what became our reality when we see these ca literal caricatures of entire groups of people as human beings we just put them in that box and we're like okay well all of them are like that right like that's that's the easiest right. thing for my brain to do and so they're all like that and that's the box that I'm going to keep those people in. So for me, as a white woman, I get to put people in that box, right? Like that's, I can, <laughs> I can do that. How was that for you as an indigenous woman watching those caricatures? Like, I'm just wondering if there's this, this disconnect of like, but that's not how I look. Is that how I'm supposed to look? That's not how I act. Is that how I'm supposed to act? Like, I don't, how was that for you? What's what's worse is you believe those mm. stereotypes. You believe what it is that you're seeing. Um, like I said, I went to an all-black school and the town that I grew up with uh, was uh, mostly black. And just seeing all of these black children being told they're not beautiful on TV, right? Being told that their hair is not how it's supposed to be. These people didn't think these children didn't think, oh, well, they're not, they're not right. You know, I am beautiful. I, I am this. No, they believed it. They believed all these lies. They believed. And, and those are the effects that, you know, colonization has on children is that, and adults too. But I mean, in particularly us, when we saw all of these things, we just believed it, you know, believed that we weren't as smart as everybody else that we weren't beautiful, that we weren't valued. And so we take that weight on with us for forever until we're able to like sit down and think about it and say, you know, my eyes are, you know, dark, like obsidian, not they're dull and, and not, not beautiful, like mm. blue eyes. They're not like water, you know, all of these things that like are, are told to us, are shown to us, are, and, and it's not until we put in the effort as we grow these things. 
because we just become them. We, we receive that information and it becomes our reality. It's, it's, it's heartbreaking to see children even now, you know, who still don't see themselves in literature. They don't see themselves in movies. And when they do, they're terrible depictions, right? Even, even young girls, you know, like finally now, um, they're so, there's so much more, right? There's so yeah. many more black and brown children in books, which is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, so many more characters that they can see and reflect on and see goodness in and see wholeness because everyone is flawed, right? We're, I don't want to see only characters of like the idol of a black right. and brown person, right? right. I want to see regular people with flaws and, and aspirations and, and despair, everything, right? We don't want just that perfect person because then that's also damaging too you know people who have yes. fallen into you know the model minority you know yep. that that has been super problematic for those people and so we just need to be people right like whole <laughs> can we just be like regular people right like be depicted as regular people but no whiteness is always depicted as norm right, right. whiteness um cisgendered able-bodied uh, all of these things are the norm and we are always outside of that norm we are always the token or the, the stereotype or whatever the case may be. And so it is our job now as people who are aware to really sit down and be like, okay, I always thought that, you know, my hair was just not pretty and not whatever. It's like, oh, wow. The only reason why was because I was comparing it to like, white people hair and so like obviously it doesn't look like that and so it's never gonna you know whatever and so that goes for everything right everything including like our cultural um, behaviors our cultural tastes all of these things that that it takes so much work to unlearn in order for us to value ourselves as individuals and as a people the only thing I can draw any sort of comparison to is unlearning like in a part of my identity that is mine is that patriarchal um, unlearning what it means to be a woman and, and starting on that process Mm -hmm. was really, really jarring and really, really scary and really, really eye opening. And it was all the things. So what kind of started you on that journey of decolonizing and like seeing yourself differently? Um, so for me, my journey started as soon as I found out that I was pregnant. Um, I just more on an analytical, tangible level wanted to know more about myself in order for me to tell my child, right? I was like, oh, we need to find out like exactly who we are in order for us to be able to tell Luna, have all these conversations with Luna. And uh, with Zach, it was quite easy because his grandma has like little notebooks filled with like who was whose mom and like where she was from and like, you know, social security number, like the whole night. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then I, I spoke with my dad and my dad has always been very, very open about his childhood and about um, their past uh, growing up in El Salvador during the civil war with something traumatic is not even a, a, a word that would be of any use. And growing up like that, he, he, would show me videos of the war. We talked about it. I, I learned a lot about it. But then when 
I was pregnant with Luna, I was like, I want to dig deeper. Like what, you know, let, tell me more. And we just started talking about, you know, these massacres that happened in El Salvador to indigenous people. And that that's why, you know, we don't know our language and like just digging into it. And I was like, I had no idea. Yeah. How did I have no idea? And, and there's so much shame with it too. And so for us in particular, like I said, in El Salvador, um, there's a shame if you're indigenous. It means you're unintelligent. It means that you're crass. It means that you're homely. It means all of these negative things. So even people who are, I mean, straight up indigenous do not claim it. They will say anything other than they're indigenous. They will say, no, but you know, my abuela, she was from Spain. And so, and it's like, oh, mm-hmm. I don't think so. I do. I highly doubt that, you know? <laughs> and so even coming to terms with the fact that we're indigenous is a battle for so many of yeah, us yeah. because it comes with such a negative idea. It comes with such a just terrible connotation around it to where getting people to even see their own identity is step one, much less getting wow. digging deeper and realizing that we are a value and we are beautiful and we are all of these things. I mean, just being able to accept that that's who we are is just a a hurdle in and of itself. And then from then, like I mentioned before, sitting down and realizing how much we've lost, sitting down and realizing how much that we will never be able to gain, you know, from the tangible land that has been taken away um, from the waterways, from all of these things that we have been physically disconnected to from, from being into the dysphoria, right? Like we're, we're here, I'm only here because of the war, right? That's the only reason I'm in these so-called United States. I wouldn't be here if all of that hadn't happened. And so being able to sit with that is is really hard and really difficult to just uh, navigate. And then working through and being able to find not only hope, but like that resilience, that, that I'm still here. Like I made it. Right. Right. And so that, that in and of itself is beautiful. That in and of itself is powerful. And now it's my job, not only to teach my children, but also everyone that I can talk to, like anyone that I can relate this message to of like, no, like you are beautiful. You are smart. You are all of these things. It's just these, these terrible perceptions that we've gotten and we've been taught that we've internalized. What advice do you have for Indigenous folks who are kind of starting on this journey? Um, So the heart, that's the hardest thing is starting. The hardest thing is really connecting because I am so fortunate to have elders who are still present with us being able to talk with my great aunt and her being open about it, right? Because it's one thing having them present but then having them even be able to talk about it because they hadn't talked about it for as long as I have been here, they hadn't talked about it. And so it took a lot of very careful uh, working around these situations in order to be able to have people talk about it. I have uh, friends up in the North who only recently have gotten their grandparents or parents to talk about um, the residential schools, right? Like it it took a lot of effort for them to even be able to talk about it. And sometimes they won't, they will not talk about it. And so it's so hard for us to, to navigate this. So, so for so many of us, we don't have the luxury of just 
opening up a book and being able to go step one do this step one right. that's that's not how it works and so the the best thing that we can do is connect with our elders and connect with with our our people but again that's that's not always tangible for everybody. That's not always doable. Even if we have those people in our lives, they might not want to talk about these things because these are heavy things to unpack. Um, things that have been silenced for years, mm-hmm. for years, for decades. And so we can only hope that they are ready to talk about it right. and, and taking that process very gently with those people. Um, like I mentioned um, speaking with like my own my own people, it took a very long time for yeah. them to to have these discussions, to have these conversations. Um, even even speaking with my mom, who is again further disconnected from it, but being able to to speak about why we see ourselves that way, mm. um, we are still in these um, very self hating. That like internalized colonization. Yes, absolutely. And so, you know, growing up hearing like, oh, you would look so much better if you would get some highlights in your hair, if you would dye it lighter because I have such pitch black hair. And it's like, oh, te ves tan India. You look so Indian is the term that I heard all growing up. And it's like, Hey, what else do you want me to look like? Like, how else am I supposed to look any different? And also, how horrible is that for yeah. a child to hear? For an adult to hear, but particularly for a child to hear, like, maybe you should change this about yourself so that you would look less like your people. Because however you look isn't good enough. That's the message. Exactly. Exactly. Why, why would I be changing if, if it was good enough? right? Why would you want me to change if, if I was the ideal, then you wouldn't want me to change, right? Going to El Salvador with Luna for the first time, she was around uh, maybe eight or nine months. And uh, wow, that seems... so many people were so thrilled to see her. Yeah, yeah. So many people were so thrilled to see her. And yet at the same time, um, I remember seeing it was like a great aunt or something. And I have like a million of those. That's why I said it that way. But um, <laughs> we showed up and she was so excited. And she was like, I Lunita, Lunita. And she said, oh, she's so perfect. Too bad she's got brown eyes. And I was just so angry. Ugh. But like I mentioned, I completely understood where that idea came from right and so instinct like instinctively I just wanted to go hard and be like <laughs> you you know like just go off on her but I know why she thought that yeah right? like, I know years of this of me thinking that about myself much less her who's never had the language to be able to talk about this right like right. no concept of colonization and so she just lives it and so for me to go off on her wasn't wasn't right right like I, I knew two seconds after I wanted to go off that 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 wasn't what I was supposed to do and I just said no I'm so lucky that her eyes came out just like her mama and she's mm. like oh okay you know like kind of kind of dismissed it but 
but yeah, I mean, this is, this is what we deal with all of the time. And my children are very fair compared to me, right? Like they have brown hair and they do have pitch black eyes. Kuali has eyes. I don't even know how, how he managed to get such dark eyes, but <laughs> it's so funny to see how, how little things like that I know because of my childhood. And so I reverse it with them, right? Even ever since Luna was aware of her body parts, I used to always, always tell her, tienes ojos de chocolate. You have chocolate eyes. Mm. You have chocolate eyes. And so now anytime anyone is talking about eyes, she goes, mama says I have chocolate eyes. You know, to her, it's something, something so beautiful, something so you know, whatever. And I have so I have, I mean, an embarrassing amount of books, right? It's just like stacks and stacks and stacks of children's books. And so I make sure that I am really showcasing black and brown children as as what they are, right? As perfect little bundles of light. That's that's what these children are. And so really showing these things, showcasing these things so that she doesn't have those same perceptions that I did. And so I'm very hopeful and very um, excited to see how she perceives it because we have such a limited, it's, it's kind of, it can seem kind of weird to other people, but because we have such limited contact with other folks, especially now with COVID, I mean, very, very limited, but we live out here in such a rural area. We have no neighbors. And so it's pretty much just me and Luna and Zach and Quali all the time. Like this, it's just, this is our reality and the animals, yeah. right? And yeah. so <laughs> everything that she absorbs is from the books that I read, is from the documentaries that we see. So me always showcasing children from all areas of the spectrum, children with disabilities, children who come from yes. just a plethora of different places and showcasing them. They're just children, right? And whatever else they are, that's an addition, right? But they're just children and they're just like you and they're also different from you. You know, all of these things, I think that she's able to have a better, more whole picture of what we are, right? Because it's sometimes exhausting just to be your group or just your marginalization. Like that's that's so your a representative and so anytime that you mess up anytime that you're human you you down your entire group of people right like you are this oh all women are like that you right. are this oh all indigenous people like and that's that white people don't have that weight if if anyone does something like that it's like oh oh it's just because that one individual did this one specific thing yeah no when it's a marginalized person it's oh it's let me throw that blanket on there. All of those people are like that. And so by teaching her that all these people are different and that they're not just their group, I, I feel it. I feel like I'm able to teach her more a more encompassing way to see the world as opposed to how I saw it, which was so black and white. Well, and I think what I hear you saying too is, like you said earlier, we underestimate children a lot. And if they're old enough to be specifically children that are from marginalized group, if they're old enough to be marginalized, right? If they're old enough to have those comments thrown at them, if they're old enough to be seen differently, if they're old enough to be scared to wear a hoodie down the street mm-hmm. alone, then they're old enough to have those conversations. 
because mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of mm-hmm. um, being worried about talking to kids about stuff. But like you said, like kids, they're, they're ahead. They know they're absorbing. Yeah. They're so ahead. Absolutely. We don't give them enough credit. They are little elders. Like they're so yes. aware and we can, we can seek solutions from children. Their, their way of thinking is so, so without limitations right that that we need to learn from them yes. right? like we need to learn what 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 that means because we've been calloused with bias and we've been calloused with all of these ideas that most of the time simply aren't true and so to 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 hear what they have to say is so uplifting and so joyous and like with me and luna like we have hard conversations with luna i don't want her childhood to be destroyed right I don't want her to think that this world is just like a horrific place you know whatever but I also want her to know what what is going on and so just the other day I have these moments all the time where I'm just like I don't I can't even comprehend how proud I am like I didn't even know that I could be this proud like we were just sitting at the table and she's just you know eating her food and it's just me and her Zach has quality somewhere and we're just sharing our meal together and she goes mama not everybody has food. We have to fight so that everybody has food. And I mean, I literally almost started to cry because I was like, you're so like, you're so right. Yes, Luna. Yes. Oh and my. So hearing, hearing the, those words come out of my three-year-old, like I felt, I'm about to cry just right now, like, but I felt like what I'm doing is right. I felt like she knows, like Luna, Luna's, gonna be a game changer like y'all ain't ready for Luna (laughs) and so hearing those words come out of her and knowing that she is going to mobilize people right she is going to change people and so I have so many children that I know that are like that so many children that are like that I'm just like like I, I feel almost like a weight lifted like yes like this is what we're fighting for right like this is what this is this is why I do what I do because I want Luna to have the best capacity to do what she has to do we're all we're all have have these duties and she has hers and I need to fulfill mine in order for her to be able to do what she has to do on this side because she's going to be unstoppable and we're all healing those generational wounds right? Like we're all, if, if we want, if we choose that path to heal those generational wounds and the more we heal, the more that next generation can heal, the less shit they have to go through, right? Like taking that on whatever it is, is so crucial and so important in breaking those patterns Mm -hmm. is Mm -hmm. a game changer. Exactly. Because that weight, if we don't put in the work, we'll just be left for our children, right? Then they just have to deal with it if we don't put in the work. And the work isn't glamorous. It's <laughs> not pretty. It's not It's not anything. It's hard and shitty and tears and anger and despair. But I do this work. So that way, Luna will have to do that less, right? So right. that body has to do that less. Because otherwise, if I just push on these you know, anti-black ideas, these, these sexes, all, all of these ideas, if I just push them on, then, then she has to do all this healing. Then Kuali has to do all this healing. And so it's, it's work, 
but I I do it gladly because I know the world that I want Luna to live in when she's older, right? Like I know, I envision what the capacity that she can do, but it, that only happens if I put in the work too. I think that's a motivating thing for me at least too, is once you truly make that connection that the world is bigger than you, right? Like once you get past that ego <laughs> and realize that, like the ripple effects of your actions actually mean so much more than we learn growing up. Like that at first is overwhelming, but then it makes me really hopeful. Cause it's like, that's why I'm doing it. I'm not just doing mm-hmm. this for me. I'm not just vegan. Yeah. It helps my health or I'm not just doing this for this reason, or I'm not just trying to use less plastic because of me. It's like, that's wide. That's a wide reaching effect and that's like systematic and all of that stuff and it's motivating I think Mm -hmm. and and it just depends on the framework of how you see it because um getting that exact information can be extremely overwhelming for someone who's not ready right so hearing that and be like wait everything's interconnected yeah you know like oh it terrified me at first (laughs) yeah yeah and so now, now I see it as a good thing. I see it right. like, no, everything's interconnected, which means that there are so many little things that we can do. There's so many little things that we're able to, to connect in order to form that big picture, right? That every single one of us has a purpose and that all of us are, are doing what we need to do, right? And so if we're all doing what we need to do, we're able to, to see this greater picture and put it all together and help so many more people when we see the interconnectedness um, as opposed to just the individual actions for ourselves. Cause yeah, like it's cute to be zero race. It's cute to make my little salads, but it's like, okay, that is actually having an impact, you know, and like having all of these things that I need to see that in order for me to do better. I need to see, you know, my little garden is actually very helpful in the sense that like, you know, I, I not only am I, you know, connecting, but also like I'm producing less emissions because I'm just walking yep. outside to get a cucumber and like, yep. okay, so now what can I do to, to speed that up? What can I do to, to spread that to other realms? And so taking that step back and seeing how all of these things intersect, all of these things are interconnected. That's, that's the only way to be. That's it. Like <laughs> that's the only way to see it. There is no one solution to a problem there's yes. like 30 million things that we need to do to do it and that again is extremely overwhelming and I'm like but I can't do all of these things like I can't I can't possibly do all these things and that's okay like you won't be able to but maybe you can do something that I can't and hopefully you do that right and there are things that I can do that you won't be able to yeah and so now I have to do that right. so if we can lean on each other that way without judgment Right? Yes, yes. Without holding people down. Because I can grow a tree out here, right? I, yep. I, I'm literally planning on growing trees. And so if I go and judge somebody who lives in a Manhattan apartment for not growing their own tree, then who, like, what, what am I doing? Right? right what am right. I doing? Or if right. that person judges me for going, buying oats in packaging because I don't have a zero waste store, I don't have a bulk store, then, then we're, not, we're not doing any service to any body we're just letting that ego run and 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 just causing causing ruckus right we need to see that we need to step out and realize that 
So you said that you have a lot of conversations on Instagram specifically is the platform mm -hmm. that you receive. Mm -hmm. So let's say some, <laughs> some nice white person reaches out to you and is like, holy shit, I had no idea of everything going on in this continent and the history with indigenous peoples and all of that. Where do I start? What can I do? I want to be an ally. I want the sticker. Like, where do you tell people to start <laughs> in that fight? Um, the first thing that I do is I'm like, Google, right? You got Google. So you got to start there. Um, mm -hmm. Because as much as I love to share this information, as much as I love to do the work that I do, it is not my job to educate white people yep. on my history. Yep. that y'all have brought upon us, right? Yep. And so the first thing is there, the same way that I learned, right? Same way yeah. I went on YouTube and started looking at all these information, started watching all these things, started buying books written by indigenous folks. You want to learn about books? That's important. Black history, you got to read black authors. You got you to gotta go and, and dig information from the people, right? Because that's the problem from the jump is that we're reading whitewash history written by people who traffic human beings right of course they're going to write their own narrative and so by doing that doing your own research realizing that re realizing the agenda that has been brought upon history because of who was writing it yeah. right these yep. human traffickers of course were going to literally create race create these ideas mm. of superiority in order to justify their action. And so it became the norm for them. It became, it's like, no, like these, these black people are actually not even real humans. Like that, that's what was written. And so that just perpetuated and changed and morphed and, and, you know, to where we are today. And so it takes work. And I think that sometimes um, white people don't realize the work that it's going to be in order to unlearn a lot of this stuff and then relearn right? It's, it's work. It's not easy. And so um, that can be kind of disheartening because it's like, okay, I want to click the button and like, just give me all the stuff. And yes. I want to know. And yes. that's not, that's not how it works. Right. And also there are people out there who will teach you. And so find these people ha have entire seminars, they have workshops, they have all of these things, attend them and pay them. And you will learn so much and then from there, there are so many local organizations in your area, whether, whether, you know, in the state or whether, you know, just by region or in your city, depending on where you live, there are different organizations that work with people in order to do better. Right. And yep. so to inform yourself and then to find folks who are willing to teach you and then, and then get local, get, get to what, what can you do in your area that is tangible, that is real to help these people, right? There's so much work that needs to be done. There's something around you that can be done, right? There's something that can be done. And so by going online and right. finding those people and connecting with those people, um, it's, 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 it's not as easy as like clicking a button and being, bam, that's it. It's, it takes effort and, and takes, takes want, right? But we want other things and we get, get to it just as easily, right? We want these, mm. these things and, and we do the research, right? We do research to buy a new blender, right? 
Like you got time to blender and you put in the work, you watch all these reviews, you can do the same thing to educate Ooh. yourself <laughs> on our history. Damn. <laughs> You're so right though. It's such, it's a choice and you have to, I think I would add to all of that. You have to know you're going to be uncomfortable and you have to get over it. Yes. That's yes. You just got absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's um, one of the reasons why I, I advocate on informing yourself first, because going to people, especially people who you are not paying is um, we as non-white people have the tendency to still adhere to whiteness, right? Mm. So we still don't want to make white people feel uncomfortable. And so even if they say things that are inappropriate, even if they do things that are inappropriate, they're the ones that get the attention, right? So like, this is something so common to where non-white people alter the way that they speak. They alter their volume. They alter their mannerisms in order to make white people feel comfortable in order to make white people not feel guilty, not feel sad. You know, there's so many times where I have these conversations and I'm the one that has to comfort so a, a white person because of my history. I'm telling you this. And now I have to adhere to your tears, taking away my energy from me trying to explain myself. And so, which is why I say, you know, first do your research and then pay these people because it is so much work and effort that goes into this and it's not to be taken lightly. That uncomfortableness, that awkwardness will be there. Like there's no hiding it. There's no denying that. Yes. I um, really appreciate you pointing that out because it's something that is such it's such an easy fallback too, as a white person to just be like, well, tell me what I need to do then. Like, I didn't know. So tell me. And I think what you said is so perfect because I know that I've done that. I definitely know Mm -hmm. that I've done that. And it doesn't matter how well-intentioned you are, right? The outcome and how it lands is just, it's exhausting. And I, like I said, like the only comparison in any sort of way is sometimes when people talk about like, well, is it that bad to walk alone on the street as a woman in a city or whatever? I'm just like, well, you like Google the statistics, (laughs) you know, like, I'm just like, come on. Yeah. Like, and yeah, I have to remember the moments that I feel that. So I don't fall back on my whiteness then and do the same thing to people of color, expecting them to teach me because I don't understand. Cause I don't like it when people do that to me about gender. And it's so easy. It's so interesting. It's so easy to forget that. Right. When it's like, when it's yeah. turned around, you're like, Oh, but I don't know that someone teach me. Absolutely. And that goes for job. every realm. Right. Because that's how I feel learning about um, people with disabilities. Right. Can you just tell me what I have to do? And it's like, no, 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 no. That's not how you do it. You need yeah. to go buy some books. Yeah. <laughs> you need to go read those. You need to go watch some documentaries. You need to, you know, whatever. And then, you know, and that's something that I pride myself on now. That is not how I used to always be. But like, I pride myself on if I have hard questions, right? Questions that I can't find on Google. Questions that I can't like, you know, like I'm not getting to. I'm, I will message someone from that group and be hey, are you willing to speak to me on this issue? I have this capacity to pay you. 
And either those people would be like, I will gladly accept, or, you know, that I, I don't work with that, but I know someone who does. And so it is my job to find that information with the privilege that I have, right? Like as an able-bodied person, yes. I have so much privilege that I can't even conceptualize because the world was made for me, right? The world was made for able-bodied people. And so that's how it is for all of those different groups. And so it's not their job to teach me. It is my job to teach myself. It's my job to seek that information and do that work. I think that is, oh, that is so lovely as well, because I've had conversations with people who are like, I really want to learn about indigenous peoples in this area. And I want to talk to some people that have been here. Like I'm in Northern Minnesota, but I feel like that would be awkward. But the way you phrase that is so beautiful. Cause it's like, Hey, look, here is what I've done. Here's what I know. And I'm still looking for more and asking, you know, not making that assumption that they are going to be ready to be your guide in life mm -hmm. on this topic, mm -hmm. but asking mm -hmm. and being also, it's, I think it's so, it's such a privileged thing to ask, but assume you're going to get it right. Like asking is not a, just a formality that you do. Like asking is something mm -hmm. that is required and you can like, you can get a no and you can get a, I can't handle this. That's going to happen. I, I think that that's something that we forget even when we're trying to do something positive, like learn about a marginalized group, right? Like we forget the things that we're learning about are actual traumas for other people. Yes. It's not like how we receive it. Yes. And just seeing it in a book and just seeing it, whatever. Mm. So then this is lifelong battles, right? And so when someone sends a message out of like, oh, but like, what about this? And it's like, you don't know how heavy that was for that person right? You don't know, like they didn't consent to that heaviness that you just brought upon that person for that day. Let's say like, just for example, you know, like if, if I were to ask someone about the residential schools, and I mean, that is something so heavy that, that I don't have the right to just, just hit somebody with that. And so that's the same way with so many different things. And so that's why I highly, highly suggest for everyone who is learning about all of these different groups to you know find the information written by those people and then if you are going to ask you you have to compensate these people one way or another because it that's their life we can see it as something that's written we can see it as the issues whatever but to them that's their reality and right. they don't get to turn that reality off right, right. like that's that's just all the time. And I think too, then not treating someone as a token, right? Like not mm -hmm. finding this mm -hmm. one person to teach you and then your work is done and assuming that every experience of a marginalized person in that group is then like that one person. I think there's a lot of tokenism for white people. They're, you know, like, they're like, I have a black friend and this is the experience <laughs> of my black friend. So like, I'm done thinking about race. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because again, like I mentioned earlier, these are people with flaws. These are people with successes. These are people with everything. And so having this one view of this one person does not encompass the idea of different, like it, it is 
that's not how it works. Right? right. And so the easy thing to do is be like, yeah, I have this one black friend and they said I could say the N word. And it's like, oh no, you know, like I've, I've had these conversations before. And so being able to, to understand that it's not that easy. It is hella work. Like that's mm-hmm. the easiest way to put it. It's hella work. Mm-hmm. What um, I'm curious for, and if this feels like, a moment that I'm doing this to you now that we just had this conversation, please do not hesitate. But I'm curious how you handle conversations about like mascots and Halloween costumes and that kind of thing. Cause it, it's a, it's about to come down the docket real quick. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I'm just curious, like how you navigate that. If someone asks you, or if you see it, like, what is that experience like for you? Uh, so like I mentioned before, it just depends on how heavy it is on that day, right? Like, you know, Mm -hmm. sometimes we can talk about certain things that have happened and I'm very willing and open. And sometimes I'll just see things and I get like, I don't have the energy, right? Like I don't have the energy to put forth, you know, I need somebody else to do that. And that's again, where that ally comes in. That's, that's where that person needs to take that responsibility of like, Hey, maybe this indigenous person doesn't feel like like explaining why a severed head shouldn't be part of a football game, you know, like maybe they don't have the energy to, to talk about this, you know, and that's where those people come in and be like, Hey, like, you know, whatever. And that, that goes for all of us, right. That goes for um, us who, who claim to be allies for black people claim to be allies for the LGBT community. It's, it's that that's our job to, to do these things in order to, to step up when these people don't, A, it's not their job. And then also just don't want to. Yeah. They're exhausted. Yeah. They're exhausted. And so it just depends on the day. Sometimes I'll, I'll be hype and like, I'll, you know, explain fully, you know, my sentiment on it. And then sometimes I'm just like, no, like I, I don't have time for that today. I don't have the energy for that. Mm-hmm. Have you had conversations like about um Halloween costumes of indigenous people or mascots of indigenous people have you had conversations where you felt like you really blew someone's mind and they were like oh I didn't understand now I'm never going to do that again have you do you feel like you've had those success stories absolutely yeah yeah I I have definitely had those conversations and I've also had the opposite where it's (laughs) just like same uh it literally like word for word saying like but we won so we get to do what we want we being the colonizers yeah i mean okay one end of the spectrum to the other yeah so i've i've had people where they're just like wow like i guess you know the school didn't teach me that or like or even people who are like okay well i'm gonna look into that because i i don't know much about that and i'm just like okay like that's that's valid that's a valid response, you know? Mm-hmm. And so having, having heard all ends of that spectrum, it's kind of, it's both exhausting, but also kind of relieving at the same time, because I do hear a lot of positive stories of people who, who are able to see the damage and are able to, to be aware of the systems and, and be like, okay, yeah, like I, I'm a part of, I have seen only the mainstream society. And so I wasn't aware of that. And now I am. And like, thank you for this post or thank you for sharing this because I had no idea. And um, that's all that I can do. Right. That's all that I, I 
am responsible for is is I can share and put that information out there. It's up to everybody of how they perceive it and how they how they take it and how they learn from it. And I think something that you um, we talked about earlier too is just that. I think a lot of, at least a lot of what I hear specifically from white people is like, well, we can't rewrite history. Like I just keep, for some reason lately, I've just been hearing that again a lot, but what I like Mm -hmm. how you framed it is I'm I'm not trying to rewrite history. I'm trying to tell you what happened. So like, I'm not trying to, Mm -hmm. you know, tell you that there's, there is some rewriting that needs to be done. I'm not changing the narrative. I'm telling you the part of the narrative you didn't hear. And I think that's what exactly I'm trying exactly. to fall back on more when conversations like football and it's not just football, lots of, you know, like school mascots yeah. and whatever it is and Halloween costumes and oh, fucking Thanksgiving coming up. Like, I think that's what I'm trying to fall back on more um, is just saying like, I'm not rewriting anything actually. I'm just, I'm just trying to share um, some truth. Mm-hmm but it's like hard to navigate. Yeah. It, it's, it's work for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. And especially when it comes to people who have these emotional ties to these things, right? I grew up in Southern Louisiana and so seeing the rebel flag everywhere, mm-hmm. right? I mean, everywhere. And you're talking about the Confederate having, flag. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so having, having that showcased, everywhere and having people who who literally say um no like this is this is just part of my history this is just you know whatever when they don't even know what that means right Mm. there's so many people who literally don't even know what that means and so and so just just that one layer right and and you know when I go back home now that's what I see and and knowing what that means and looks like and feels like to a black person right like seeing that everywhere plastered in your face and so that's that's again like what I mentioned that's exhausting to try to explain why that's not okay to try to explain why that is not ideal and these confederate statues that we grew up seeing you know all of these things and so having these conversations with those people is is work yeah is work because they're they're the ones that are denying history right they're the ones that are trying to rewrite it in this fairy tale disney-esque ideal not us i just i'm telling you what actually happened right i'm not sugarcoating it right i'm telling you that pocahontas was a child right like that's hard to hear and understand because we were told the opposite. We were literally told a love story. And so by having people aware of that and having people who will stand up and be like, hey, actually this happened, who are not the, the marginalized group puts some weight on someone else's shoulders as mm. opposed to ours. I think that is a really good message for people to hear. Because if you're wondering what you can do, you can learn and you can share because Mm -hmm. people might hear you differently if you have privilege. 
And Absolutely. That, that sucks, yeah. but that's reality. You know, you might, people mm-hmm. might identify with something that you put out because of who you are. And if that can make a difference, mm-hmm. then damn, mm-hmm. you know, exactly. I think we, I, f- I feel, um, a sense of responsibility, like, okay, for some reason the universe has, um, pushed me to dive into these issues. And because of that, it's my responsibility to share. Like I have this knowledge and it is my responsibility to share it. And to break white solidarity. Yeah. To break that silence. Because once that is done, you're putting that person in a position that they have never been before, especially when it comes to another white person. And just understanding, wait a second, you're not agreeing with this extremely racist thing that I'm saying? How dare you? And it's yes. like, yeah, no, like, this, this is totally wrong. And they're like, I mean, taken back. And so, yeah, like, that's y'all's job is to do that, is to endure the uncomfortableness. Yep. Because marginalized people get emotionally, physically, spiritually hurt in the, those situations. And you get the privilege of just feeling awkward, right? And right. so that's, that's the job to, to be done. You get the privilege of just feeling awkward. That's powerful. That's a really powerful thing to remember. Is there anything that you wanted to share that I haven't given you a chance to yet today? Um, I think that's it. Just really reiterating that this is we're all on this journey and that it takes a lot of work and it's it's not easy work but it's work that has to be done for ourselves uh for our children for the future for the planet and and doing it and holding yourself accountable having grace with yourself at the same Mm -hmm. time Mm -hmm. and being on this constant journey because it's not linear it's not um it's not something that you ever reach, right? You're never healed. <laughs> you're, you're never, you're never away from the systems. And so just, just thinking about it that way, reframing it to where you're always going to be doing it as right. opposed to like, Oh, my five-year plan is that I will be completely free from biases in five years. Like that's not going to happen. Right. And so just knowing that you got to just put in the work every day, every day. How are you? Oh, look at that beautiful sleeping baby. How are you taking (laughs) care of yourself these days and tapping into your own self-care, doing all this work? Bread, making bread. (laughs) (laughs) That has been my go-to thing lately. Just, I have just been, again, like I mentioned (laughs) earlier, just this push for really nourishing myself and Mm. being intentional and taking things slowly and so right now we've got bread waiting you know and so just just that sounds delicious uh, yeah no it's great it's great I'll mail you some that's perfect (laughs) and so just having that intention for myself right yeah and uh just finding those little especially when it comes to having kids at home all day and being um their primary caregiver is you got to give yourself time too because you can't be filling everybody else's cup when you got like three drops in yours right yes you got to give yourself and whether that's making bread or for other people you know like painting your nails or 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 whatever the case may be watching a show um and so for me it's been just whipping things up in the kitchen 
and giving myself the time and the capacity to do that for myself. That's amazing. Well, I hope you enjoy that bread. And I really appreciate you chatting with me again. I wanted to do an episode for Indigenous Peoples Day. And I think given our conversation last time, it was just very clear to me that talking with you again would be so helpful, not only for me, but also for everyone listening. So I really, really appreciate you taking time out of your day to do that and give space for that. Thank you again so much for having me and to be able to uh, uplift my voice in, in a time that, that it's necessary. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of Consciously Clueless. I hope you learned as much as I did from Jen in this episode. She's such a wealth of knowledge and wisdom and a beautiful soul. I'm so thankful that she joined me again on the podcast. This episode was made to honor Indigenous Peoples Day, but I want to make sure that it's clear that we should be honoring Indigenous peoples and their resilience every single day, not just one day a year. If you are enjoying this podcast, hit subscribe wherever you're listening. Share it with a friend, text it to a family member, share on social media. Help me get this into the ears of more listeners. Until next time.